Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm going to share an amazing Roman monument with you today. Just a quick reminder before the episodes get started, all sources and images referenced will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find that link in the episode description, as well as on Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. When walking through the area surrounding the Roman Forum, it's hard to miss the giant triumphal arches. As I'll discuss later in the episode, these monuments were meant to show the world the might of the Roman Empire through the decisions of her leaders. The one I'm featuring today is the Arch of Titus. Named for the second emperor of the Flavian dynasty, the arch was built in his honor by his brother Domitian to celebrate Rome's triumph over Judea. So to learn more, keep on listening. And thank you to listener Nicole for sponsoring today's episode. Before I start talking about the arch, I think it's important to discuss who Titus was. As I just mentioned, he was a member of the Flavian dynasty. His father was Emperor Vespasian, who we discussed last week. He was born on December 30th, 39 CE. His mother was Flavia Domitilla Major, and both of his parents were members of the equestrian class. Both he and his father Vespasian were members of the military and had distinguished careers. During the reign of Nero, Titus served in campaigns in Britannia. That was until the Jewish revolt started. And we'll go into more detail later in the episode on this event. Both men were there when news of Nero's death reached them. This year, 69 CE, would be known as the year of four emperors because of the quick succession and power vacuum. When Vespasian became emperor, Titus was made a prefect of the Praetorian Guard and was granted the title of Caesar as one of his father's heirs. The next year, 70 CE, Titus led the sack of Jerusalem. To this day, it's considered one of the darkest days of Jewish history. For Titus, however, it was a great victory. As I mentioned last episode, the treasures and gold that he acquired refilled the imperial coffers and made him a hero. Over the next year and a half, he traveled back to Rome in triumph. Clearly, he took his time. First, he was celebrated with games at Caesarea Maritima. Then, he stopped in Parthia and was crowned by the client king, Wolgossus I. Next, he went to Memphis in Egypt to consecrate the sacred bull Apis. This led to rumors that he was looking to usurp his father's powers because this was an important moment for pharaohs in Egypt. But those rumors amounted to nothing. In 71 CE, Titus returned to Rome and respected his father's position. Upon his return, he was awarded through a triumph. He rode through the streets of Rome displaying gold, silver, jewels, captured Judeans, and his soldiers. It was a huge celebration that would have involved the entire city. As his father's heir, Titus served many roles. Not only was he head of the Praetorian Guard, he would also attend Senate meetings in his father's place. Occasionally, he also served as his father's personal bodyguard. For example, in 79, a plot by two men, Aulius Cassina Aelianus and Eprius Marcellus, to overthrow Vespasian was discovered. Taking manners into his own hands, Titus stabbed Aelianus at a dinner party, which unraveled the plot. During his time in Judea, Titus had taken a mistress. Her name was Berenike, Queen of Judea. She was a member of the Herodian dynasty, and her family were client monarchs of the province. When Titus returned to Rome, she went with him and moved into his villa. Titus and Berenike both expected to be wed, but there was a lot of distrust of foreign queens stemming from Caesar and Anthony's affairs with Cleopatra. So Titus chose duty over love and cast her aside. Shortly after, Berenike disappeared from the historical record. Titus succeeded his father in June 79 CE. He was the first son to succeed his biological father in Roman imperial history. Titus was known as a generous emperor, especially when Mount Vesuvius erupted that same year. He also changed laws to encourage more fairness in legal trials, making him popular with citizens. Unfortunately, his good reign would not last. 
Titus died on September 13th, 81 CE, likely of a fever. He was succeeded by his younger brother, Domitian, whose first imperial act was to make Titus a god. Now that I've established a short biography on the short-reigned emperor, let's talk about the first Jewish-Roman war. After all, we wouldn't have a triumphal arch without it. In 66 CE, tensions between Rome and Judea were at an all-time high. Although Judea was a client king of Rome, they were still powerful in the Mediterranean world. At first, these tensions mainly stemmed from the fact that the Jewish citizens of the province wouldn't submit to the rules surrounding Roman religion. Technically, the Romans were quite accommodating with local religions. In fact, they absorbed several regional gods into their own pantheon. However, they did insist and legally decree that all citizens must perform the sacrifices associated with the imperial gods, particularly those to the emperors. Remember, in ancient Rome, there was no separation between church and state. However, this directly conflicted with the Jewish belief that there's only one God. These tensions further increased during Nero's reign because the emperor implemented a heavy taxation program in the provinces, creating a heavy burden on Judea's citizens. Things finally came to a head when Gessius Florus, the last Roman procurator, took 17 talents of silver directly from the treasury of the temple, claiming it was owed to the emperor. A small rebellion broke out, but Florus had the leaders quickly arrested, and in a bold and illegal move, he had them crucified. This fanned the flames of rebellion into a full-blown war. Fighting continued for several years, and in 79 CE, Titus sacked the holy city of Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple. To this day, only the foundation remains. After this, the war continued for another few years, though not at the same level of intensity. The war finally ended in 73 CE with the fall of Masada. This final Jewish stronghold was finally breached that year. However, when the Roman forces entered the fortress, they found that 960 out of 967 people had committed suicide rather than be taken prisoner. Next, we're going to dive into all the details about the Arch of Titus. But first, let's take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, my name is Annalisa, and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that is curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways that you can support the cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and a Buy Me A Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support Accessible Art History monetarily. However, I will always work to bring content for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening, and now let's get back to the episode. Alright, now that we're back, you might be asking yourself, what is a triumphal arch anyway? Well, they are monumental celebration structures. Although they're most commonly associated with the city of Rome, we actually find them all over the empire. Technically, they didn't serve a function, like a temple or storefront, and were really only built to remind people of the glory of Rome and her citizens. They were frequently built on main streets, again maximizing the amount of people that would see them. Triumphal arches consisted of a single archway, but more often than not, they actually consisted of three, a large central one with two smaller ones on the side. 
They were richly decorated, again to glorify the individual to whom they were dedicated. Relief carvings, equestrian statues, gold leaf, and more covered these monuments. They must have been a truly spectacular sight back in the days of the Roman Empire. The Arch of Titus is of the single arch variety. It stands at 50 feet or 15.4 meters in height, 44 feet or 13.5 meters in width, and 15.5 feet or 4.75 meters in depth. The inner archway is an impressive 27 feet or 8.3 meters in height, and 17 and a half or 5.36 meters in width. It's made of marble and would have likely been decorated with precious metals and or painted. Today, the majority of the decorations have been stripped away by weather, time, and humanity. However, the carvings and the inscriptions mostly remain to tell us the great story of Emperor Titus. The sculptural program of the Arch of Titus is rather impressive in my opinion. The most famous part, located in the southern inner panel, shows the procession of the spoils taken from the Temple of Jerusalem. Soldiers march and carry the golden menorah, golden trumpets, the fire pans that remove the ashes from the altar, and the table of the showbread. In 2012, archaeologists scanned this section of the arch and discovered that the sacred objects were once painted a golden yellow. For the Romans, these were just nice, shiny objects, but for the Jewish people, they were among the most important elements of their faith. Rome taking these and showing them off in triumph as booty was incredibly insulting. In fact, for many years, there was a ban by Rome's chief rabbinate that stated that Jewish people were not allowed to walk near or underneath the arch. The span wasn't made officially lifted until 1997. The north inner panel also contains a significant scene. It shows Titus as a triumph tour, attended by various genii, guardian spirits, and lictors, civil attendants, who carry fascists, a symbol of power. An Amazon named Valor leads the four-horse chariot called a quadriga. It carries Titus in procession. Winged Victory flies into the scene, and she is crowning Titus with the laurel wreath. This is significant because it shows humans interacting divine for one of the first times in Roman art history. For example, on the Arapacus, which I covered earlier in the season, keeps the gods and people separated. Throughout the structure, there are also scenes of Titus being deified, winged victory figures, and Titus's apotheosis, or ascendant to heaven. Some of the decorations have been lost to time because at one point, during the medieval period, the Arch of Titus was incorporated into a wall. The Arch of Titus has two inscriptions. The first was added at the time of construction and reads, The Senate and the people of Rome dedicate this to the deified Titus Vespasian Augustus, son of the deified Vespasian. The second was added in 1821 when a restoration took place. It reads, This monument, remarkable in terms of both religion and art, had weakened from age, Pius VII, Supreme Pontiff, by new works on the model of the ancient exemplar, ordered it reinforced and preserved in the 24th year of his sacred rulership. While looking at the Arch of Titus, you might be thinking to yourself that it appears somewhat familiar. Well, that could be because it served as a major influence for multiple structures throughout history. Two of the most famous include the Arc of the Triomphe in Paris, France, built in 1806, and the Washington Square Arch in Manhattan, built in 1892. During the 18th and 19th centuries, there was a huge resurgence in interest in the Roman Empire. We call this period Neoclassicism, and it was spurred by archaeological digs like those at Pompeii and the grand tours that young people would take across Europe. Neoclassical art is a fascinating combination of the past and present. The Arch of Titus is a standing testament to the glory of the Empire. It represents the unwavering Roman spirit of conquest being unapologetic for taking what it wants. Make sure to tune in next week for an episode on another amazing Roman site when I discuss the Pantheon.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out on the next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. If you prefer to listen on YouTube, you can find episodes on there about two weeks after the episodes are posted. Cheers and see you next week.